This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a sensational weekend. Man, are we packed and ready for action today? We're going to be joined by Carrie Severino shortly. She's the president of Judicial Crisis Network, former clerk to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. To put all in perspective what's at stake today, as yes, it is the day that Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation begins. Right now, we're seeing Senator Lindsey Graham who's chairman of the Judiciary Committee, give his opening remarks, followed by the ranking member, Senator Dianne Feinstein. And then they're going to go around and give their 10-minute speeches, and Amy Coney Bryant, probably next, will give whole opening remarks that have already been scripted and handed out. It's going to be electric because it's a lot of impact, a lot of anger that the de- among the Democrats that Republicans are pushing this through. But as we look at this election, which is too close to call uh, in the Senate, and right now they say Joe Biden has a lead in the White House, there's a lot at stake. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Secretary Mnuchin is up to $1.8 trillion. Uh, so the bid and the offer is uh, narrowing somewhat between the two sides. President Trump actually has always said, I mean, I've heard him say it in the Oval, as far as the key elements are concerned, he would go further. Yeah, that was Larry Kudlow, the rescue package. We all need it. The Fed says we need it. Experts say we need it. Some say it's coming. Some say it's not. Can anyone in Washington actually do their job? Oh, yeah. By the way, lockdowns, we destroy the economy. Everyone sits at home and does nothing. How does it work? According to now the WHO and numerous experts, Never again. Number two. Uh, We're doing this hearing uh, just like we've done uh, Alito, Roberts, Sotomayor, Kagan. You start out with a day of introductions. Each senator gets 10 minutes to deliver their opening statement. Judge Barrett will appear at the end of the day to give her opening statement. And we'll hear from a few other folks. That's Monday. Yep. Senator Lindsey Graham, Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing starts now. And a fight to the end, I am sure. Are you expecting a horror show like Kavanaugh? I say no, but I want to hear what you have to say. Number one. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, they don't. I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, and I've I've already said something on on Corpac. He'd love that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. Yeah, 2020. That was Joe Biden. Biden lets America know you do not deserve the truth when it comes to the Supreme Court packing. What else does he is he not telling us? Uh, revitalized, uh, revitalized Donald Trump, by the way, promises to a rally a day from here on in. He's now healthy enough to go to Florida. He's going to be in Sanford at the airport. That is the, the Orlando area, and it is off to the races, and he's going to be going to Pennsylvania on down. Actually, here's the president's schedule. I'll tell you exactly where it is. Uh, today, he's going to be in Orlando, as I mentioned. On Tuesday, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. On Wednesday, Des Moines, Iowa, where one poll has him in a dead heat. He won that easily last time. 
And then in Thursday, Greenville, North Carolina. And I guess who needs some help there? Lindsey Graham, because his opponent has spent an all-time record $57 million has raised in order to beat him. Why? Because he's Donald Trump's friend. And number two is he's taking the controversial decision to reverse himself and go ahead and see a Supreme Court justice uh, with just 30 or 60 uh, days until that nomination is done. So we'll talk about all that as we got through the big three. So here's the deal. But when you talk about 22 days into the election and 9 million early votes already out there, you have to wonder why Joe Biden, unlike John Kerry, unlike Al Gore, unlike Walter Mondale, unlike Barack Obama, refuses to say exactly what he's going to say. I know Barack Obama said that I want to be a president for everybody and I'm going to be fair and balanced and somewhat moderate. And he ended up being way to the left. I get that. But he's moderate compared to what Joe Biden basically had to sell his soul to Bernie Sanders and A. In order to get this nomination. And by the way, they want to use his moderate persona to get into office when they could do radical things like destroy oil and gas, the energy industry, uh, get rid of Electoral College. I know that needs a constitutional amendment, but it's still out there. Get rid of the filibuster in the Senate. Make it like at the House. You get 51 votes. You get it through, whether it's a tax cut or whether it's uh, refusing to drill offshore drilling or whether it's adding two more Supreme Court justices, both liberal, to the Supreme Court and adding states. So when asked about this for maybe the 15th time, I noticed, I told you on Friday, even liberal-leaning reporters are kind of outraged by the stupid explanation Joe Biden gives for not telling us about doing something that hasn't been done in our country for 160 years, expanding the Supreme Court. Cut one. Sir, I've got to ask you about packing the courts. And I know that sure. you said yesterday you aren't going to answer the question until after the election. But this is the number one thing that I've been asked about from viewers uh, in the past couple of days. Well, you've been asked by the viewers who are probably Republicans who don't want me continuing to talk about what they're doing to the court right now. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, where they don't. Saying? I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, and I've, I've already said something on, on packing court. Pack. He'd love that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. He told us in 2019 he was against it. Clearly, he's for it now. And if he's he's going to do it and he's might not feel he knows how wrong it is, but he has to sell his soul to the progressives. If he starts talking about how he's a moderate and actually talking about how he's not going to pack the Supreme Court, how he's not going to get rid of the Electoral College, how he's not going to support getting rid of the filibuster, he will lose that support uh, among the next generation of way left Democratic voters. And that's a fact. And it's really bothering people, like even Jake Tapper of CNN brought up the fact that he's asking Kate Benningfield, who's, who's running things for the Biden campaign, the same thing. Cut for This is a distraction that they want to throw out. This is a hypothetical that they want to throw out right now to distract from the fact that they are trying to ram through a nominee who, as I said, is going to change the makeup of the court against the will of the American people. They don't want to talk about that. So they are trying to create a distraction and, uh, you know, send folks down a rabbit hole. Really? Is that what they're trying to do? So she went on because Jake Tapper, to his credit, followed up and said, what are you talking about? Just answer the question. Cut five. His point is that the people have an opportunity to weigh in on this constitutional process through their vote. And we are now in the midst of the election. Millions of people have already cast their votes. And you see that the vast majority of people say that they want the person who wins the election on November 3rd to nominate the justice. 
So that didn't fly. But that's their talking point. Their talking point is he's packing the court by putting a ninth judge on. He's packing the court by putting all those uh, circuit court judges in seats. Really? Are you kidding? Barack Obama left hundreds of empty judgeships. President Trump's filling it up. He's not packing the court. He's doing his job. Listen to Chris Coons, who I had so much hope for to be the last moderate. Not. Cut six. Well, Chris, as a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, I'll tell you, for the last four years, I've seen unprecedented court packing, where nominees to fill lifetime seats in the federal judiciary, who the American Bar Association said were not qualified, got jammed through. Instead of passing a COVID relief package that will help millions of Americans who are unemployed, who've been infected, whose businesses uh, or employers have closed... We're focusing on jamming through Judge Barrett. I think this constitutes court but, packing. Are you kidding? And then Chris Wallace followed up and was like, you're not answering the question. It's not court packing. I mean, we know what court packing is, and here's the deal. Here's what it is. Here's what the big deal. So whatever decision you have, 6-3, you know, 5-4, whatever it is, that's the way it's always been. It's been there over 160 years. So if you go ahead and say, well, I don't like the way these decisions are going. I got some controversial programs I got to get through. Well, the Supreme Court justice will declare them unconstitutional. Not if I make it an 11-person court and I put two people on there that agree with me who will be conferred by a simple majority, which I have. Ben Sass, who is a constitutional expert, cutting. It's grotesque that Vice President Biden won't answer that really basic question. And it isn't just one branch of government. What they're really talking about or refusing to talk about is the suicide bombing of two branches of government. What they're talking about is blowing up the deliberative structure of the United States Senate by abolishing the filibuster, making it possible to turn the Senate into just another House of Representatives, where every two years, by a 51-49 or 49-51 majority, major portions of American life change. And they're talking about doing that to pack the Supreme Court. Look, if Donald Trump didn't say whether he was going to build a wall, how he was going to crack down illegal immigration, build up defense— um, offer a tax cut. If he was asked all those things, he wouldn't have got the nomination. He wouldn't become president. But Joe Biden made a deal with the devil, the progressive on his left, to go out, pretend to be a moderate, but cut a deal with them that he's going to go ahead and do their work. As long as he has the job. Kamala Harris wants to fatten the court. Kamala Harris wants the new Green Deal. She's co-sponsor of it. That's who he chose as a running mate. Bernie Sanders, he co-wrote the whole uh uh, he co-wrote to hold the Democratic platform with, who's going to be chairman of the budget committee if, if the Democrats take the Senate. A socialist in charge of the budget. If you are pro-defense, if you served in the military, if you're a veteran, if you're active, if you're an officer, and many of you are, are all those things, and say, well, I don't like Donald Trump. He's not the leader I want. He should have won the Vietnam War, came up with bone spurs. I believe the Atlantic article. I don't, by the way. Uh, what he said about us, uh, General Kelly left. I don't like the way he fired General McMaster. You should put all that aside because in the big picture, he's going to fund the military. He's going to keep you out of crazy wars. He fully understands the effect of war. He goes to Walter Reed. He feels personally when people lose their lives, limb, or their life style because of a war injury. If anything, strong defense, reluctant to use it, guilty as charged. He will take that anytime. So that's what that's what's at stake. How dare he not tell us? That is not okay. It's not okay with 
Jonathan Swan of Axios. It's not okay with Jonathan Carl of ABC. It's not okay with Jake Tapper of CNN. Does that mean anything? Of course it does. It means you're out of control. This is unacceptable. And I don't want some other candidate, charismatic candidate, going to come out and say, once I get the job, then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. By the way, special thanks to KFOW AM 1170. Today's the first day taking a show. Uh, we love you over in South Minneapolis, and we're thrilled to be on for three hours. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. KFOW. I hope you guys can call in and be part of the show because, man, Minnesota matters so much because the Trump team really believes that they can carry it, although the polls indicate they're still points away. When we come back, we'll bring you what Senator Feinstein just said, what Lindsey Graham has been briefing us as we get set for the remarks from the Supreme Court Justice nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct, but it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make, and it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. 
So that is Joe Biden in 1983 saying packing the Supreme Court is just dumb and how it poisoned the well uh, for the Supreme Court and really had Democrats, even though he came off a landslide victory, even had Democrats saying, we're not going to do that. And he had to pull it back. Why? He had a bunch of New Deal programs. We're radical at the time, but we were in an emergency situation, a depression that looked like it was endless, a war that looked like it was unavoidable, and he had to get our economy back on track. And he thought that was the only way. And he was getting pushback from the Supreme Court. So I'll just make it bigger. The American people hated it. Joe Biden looked back on it and said, what a joke it was. Boneheaded idea. What's changed? Well, in order to get the job at 77, he had to give up any principles he may have had. And that's key. Uh, Meanwhile, we're watching events going on with the confirmation hearing of uh, Amy Coney Barrett. We heard Senator uh, Dianne Feinstein speak and Lindsey Graham open up. Now, she has not spoken yet with prepared remarks. We understand where she's going. But Senator Feinstein, you should just know, she uh, revealed her hand. She's got Amy Coney Barrett's going to blow up Obamacare, leave you without insurance. And you're to blame, Republicans. That's what she's going to do. Mike, listening in Glendora, California. Hey, Mike. Hi, Brian. Good morning. <clears throat> Listen, I'm waiting for you to get, out, to get out here in Los Angeles on a station. Anyway. I know. It would be great. Things- well, I, yeah, Eric and good. Pete, are you working on that? <laughs> All right, hey, good. Listen, now, one, of the, one of the things I think we need to do is make simple analogies. Now, I've, if a home buyer, if a home buyer was l- with a lender and the lender said, hey, I'm glad you're buying the house. And you know what? As soon as we sign the papers, I'm going to tell you what the interest rate is. You know, that's exactly what Biden is doing. You sign the papers, we'll tell you it might, might be 1%, could be 21%, which is what I bought back in 85. So anyway, you know, simple things like that kind of uh, bring home the point of what, uh, you know, how yeah. ridiculous it is to find out after, after an election. That is just totally absurd. I, of course, and it should be unacceptable. But what if he wins? If he wins, this will be the new way you get elected. Don't say anything beyond the norm that you want to do because you don't want to tick anybody off. So a good-looking guy or a woman who has great charisma as a wonderful speaker will get the job without even knowing what the true agenda is because you can't even go by party politics. I mean, look how left-wing the Democratic Party is, but they're all gone. Kamala Harris doesn't even give interviews. She doesn't give any speeches because everything she says is way to the left. You know that. You know who she is out in California. It's, uh, it's incredible. Here's Ted Cruz on this. Cut nine. Joe Biden said, the voters don't deserve to know an answer. And, and the reason they're doing this is, is because the answer is yes. Their party, the Democratic Party, is captive to the hard left of the party. They intend to pack the court, which was, would politicize it, would destroy its independence. It's something FDR, at the height of his power, tried to do it. His own party, the Democratic Party, said no, it would destroy the court. So, and he knows, he's got a book out on it right now. Uh, we'll keep an eye on what's going on in the hearing. So that, that's going to be key. Uh, how far are they going to go? I got, I got this email in. They're just talking about what Joe Biden is. He's going to kill coal, right? He says he's going to kill fracking, but what he's going to do is not allow any new fracking. And part of being a fracker is this entrepreneur wildcat approach to it. I have a hunch it's here. We're going to do hydraulic uh, horizontal fra- uh, uh, fracking in order to find a way to get the shale oil out and it revolutionize the industry. As he talked about getting rid of coal and fracking, Elizabeth writes me and says, Brian, does Biden even know how many products are made out of coal? His Green New Deal will affect those industries, too. Those are over 6,000 products from oil and hundreds from coal, including aspirin. 
Uh, Eric, who's on WDBO in Orlando, where the president will be today. Eric. Hey, Brian, real quick, not all coal is burned either. Where do they think high-carbon steel comes from? A lot of coal is added to steel as a strengthening agent. But uh, I love your show. The main reason I called is Anthony Fauci. You listen to his video. He says the Trump administration did a great job. I can't picture anybody doing it better. He said Trump administration. Maybe not Trump, but he used the word administration. And then he says his words were used without permission. Hey, Fauci, you get a check signed by we the people. We don't need your permission to use your words. Your take on this, Brian. Absolutely. I'm so done with him. Might be a nice man. He has never said anything of worth to me. His three things that he says, social distancing, wear a mask, uh, try to stay in uh, less dense situations. It's the same thing he's been saying. He was late to tell anyone to wear a mask. He didn't even admit it. Uh, most of his policies come out of interview questions. So what he does behind the scenes, I don't know. I'm looking at models, and currently uh, there's going to be 400,000 people dead. Hey, thanks for that. So it's always negative. It's always subtly negative, And we're never living up to what he wants us to do. Yet he still tells us three simple things to do. And have we noticed... Cases going up everywhere, not just here. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we're doing this hearing uh, just like we've done uh, Alito, Roberts, Sotomayor, Kagan. You start out with a day of introductions. Each senator gets 10 minutes to deliver their opening statement. Judge Barrett will appear at the end of the day to give her opening statement, and we'll hear from a few other folks. That's Monday. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. Opening statements have been given. Grassley just had some great remarks. Senator Feinstein was having, uh, giving examples of uh, how Obamacare has been great for America. We know differently, but... Having it replaced with nothing leaves the Republicans uh, in danger. But does that even really apply here? Just because Obamacare is coming up the first week in November, when she gets the job, if she's indeed confirmed, it doesn't mean— and the the fact that she was critical of Chief Justice John Roberts' decision to uphold it doesn't mean anything towards this last decision. Carrie Severino knows all about it, knows about the tactics of the right and the left. She's president of the Judicial Crisis Network and former clerk to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Carrie, welcome back. Good to be here. So far, so crisp, right? Opening statements. We've got, you know, right now, Senator Leahy speaking, but no big news yet, right? Uh, Not so far. I think it's exciting to know that they're not doing the circus of interrupting each other like we did during the Kavanaugh hearing. I think the Democrats realized that didn't play well for them. Um, So we're just kind of going through uh, hearing from each uh, Senator. And as you pointed out, you know, they're not always necessarily talking about the things that are even relevant to the judge. They're talking about the things that they want to talk about. So you got Senator Feinstein talking about Obamacare, I guess, because she thinks that polls well for the Democrats. But um, it's not really, you know, it, again, it's not really something that uh, that Barrett has taken a, a position on or but, you know, well, if that's what they want to talk about, go ahead. And we're going to get to talk to more later with her about her actual judicial philosophy, which is really the question that we should be looking at, her qualifications, which are outstanding, and her judicial approach. Well, that's not what Democrats are going to do. They're going to say goodbye Roe v. Wade, 
and goodbye Obamacare, and they're going to simplify it. But what in in reality is the story? Someone said, and you know better, that there's about 11 cases working their way around that have something to do with Roe v. Wade. And then uh, it is true in November we're supposed to see Obamacare front and center at the Supreme Court, correct? Uh, That's right, although the issue in that case is one that I think it's it's far from clear that there are even four other votes for. So the idea that saying, oh, she's going to be the fifth vote to overturn Roe versus Wade is a huge stretch. We really don't. She's never weighed in on a specific issue that's in that case. I think the reason they're focusing on it, again, they think it polls well. They've, their focus groups tell them people people don't want to get rid of Obamacare. And so what they do is the same thing they did to Robert Bork. They say, oh, she's going to do this. She's going to overturn Obamacare. She's going to all these different things. Guys, that, that's, that's their kind of uh, fever dream that is not actually related to her actual jurisprudence and how she decides the laws. It was just kind of interesting. Lindsey Graham brought up nostalgically that, you know, Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg, who is uh, with the ACLU, way to the left, everybody knew where she stood. She still got almost everybody's vote. Same thing with uh, Justice Scalia, even though there was hardly 96, I think it was 96 conservatives in the Senate. They said, well, you know, he's qualified. She's qualified. We're going to pass her through. What changed? Uh, Well, I think everything has changed since the Bork era when the Democrats realized they were losing their opportunity to have the courts um, effectively make law for uh, America. And I think the the prospect of saying, hey, we don't have judges who are just going to enact liberal policies from the bench, they switched their their position. So you have people like Joe Biden who voted for Scalia and then uh, said he would probably vote for Bork, but then switched entirely and they went on the attack. And now we're in an era where any Republican nominee, simply because they want to uphold the law as it's written, um, gets attacked, gets smeared. And uh, it's unfortunate to see that that being done to uh, some of the most outstanding uh, men and women of our of our generation who are getting smeared this way. But, you know, I think it's just become this this ugly political process. As Justice Scalia himself said, if judges are acting like politicians, you're going to have a process that looks like a political process. And there's too many judges who are looking to the politics first rather than the law, and so you get a political-looking process. I think the cure for that is people like Amy Coney Barrett because she says you got to look just at what the law says. So her politics aren't even on the table. She's not going to bring her politics. I don't want to bring my religion in it. I don't want to bring ideology into it. It's what does the law say? Well, uh, Carrie, I want you to hear what Senator Kuhn said yesterday, who I used to think, wow, there's there's my hope for a level-headed person. Not anymore. Cut 16. (laughs) I'm going to be laying out the ways in which Judge Barrett's views, um, her views on reaching back and reconsidering and overturning long-settled precedent, are not just extreme, they're disqualifying. She has taught at a well-regarded law school. She clerked for Justice Scalia. But she has views that make her not qualified to serve on the Supreme Court. And I'm not sure what they are. Uh, You mean that he disagrees with? I don't think he knows what they are. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, no, I I think he I don't think he even fully knows what what her views are. We'll hear more about that later. But, uh, you know, as as she gets to speak before the committee. But, you know, this is no member of the Supreme Court thinks that every case that has been decided needs to stand as it is. Every member of the Supreme Court has voted to overturn cases they think are wrongly decided. That's not extreme. That's absolutely normal. And that's appropriate for a judge who takes an oath to uphold the Constitution, not to uphold some decision that, that you know, five justices may have made 50 years ago. You know, it's, uh, we're talking with Carrie Severino. It's just not that long ago 
when it was the Kavanaugh hearings were up, and I heard things that I never thought I would hear, period, of somebody in their 50s. And that was questions about high school, uh, uh, trips to Fenway Park. Listen to what the, the circus that was, the Kavanaugh confirmation, cut 13. In your yearbook, uh, you talked about drinking and sexual exploits, did you not? If you're worried about my yearbook, have at it, oh. Senator. Um, Let's look at uh, Beach Week Ralph Club biggest contributor. What does the word Ralph mean in that? Uh, that probably refers in, in, to uh, throwing up. I'm known to have a weak stomach. Was there ever a time when you drank so much that you couldn't remember what happened or part of what happened the night before? No, I, I, no, I remember what happened, and I think you've probably had beers. Carrie, I, you wrote a book about this. And I've just, I, I if just get you get, uh, you start bro- sweating when you hear this because it's so embarrassing. Because Kevin, these are accomplished people; they reach the highest in their profession to sit in that seat, and then they're drilled down, and the attempt there to humiliate has got to stop. Do you think it's going to happen again? I, you know, I really hope for. So I, I didn't ever think we'd see, you know, the United States Senate discussing the definition of the term boofing. You know, and it, it was it was a national disgrace to have to go through that process once. I just pray the Democrats have realized that didn't look good for them. It was it was a stain in the face of the nation to have that kind of process going on. I think you have a lot of people who are suggesting, hey, let's not be so vicious this time. But you're also hearing Democrats who. From her first confirmation process and continuing, have have been making some of these even even stranger anti-religious uh, sentiment coming through. I mean, as as ugly as looking at someone's high school yearbook is, at least it's not unconstitutional. It's actually unconstitutional to have a religious test for office, and that's something. Senator Feinstein and Senator Durbin seem to be doing during her first confirmation hearing. Senator Hirono has suggested that she thinks that's fair game and she's on the committee. Senator Harris, the vice presidential nominee, has attacked judicial nominees for being members of the Knights of Columbus, a Catholic charitable organization, simply because they, they, they believe what the Catholic Church teaches. That, folks, is unconstitutional. And I think it's really frightening to see that we could have people going down that route. So I, I hope that we are spared that this time and we can at least focus on some of the, you know, the actual relevant questions. What are her qualifications? We know they're outstanding. You know, what is her approach to the law? So principled. Let's talk about that. Let's have a civics class. Let's not have, you know, this another crazy circus. Right. Uh, so about the other major story is if she gets through, if Democrats are going to get rid of the filibuster, if they get the Senate and the presidency, uh, they will look to fatten the court. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But listen to how they're rationalizing, number one, doing it, number two, not telling us they're going to do it. Cut six. Well, Chris, as a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, I'll tell you, for the last four years, I've seen unprecedented court packing, where nominees to fill lifetime seats in the federal judiciary, who the American Bar Association said were not qualified, got jammed through. Instead of passing a COVID relief package that will help millions of Americans who are unemployed, who've been infected, whose businesses uh, or employers have closed, we're focusing on jamming through Judge Barrett. I think this constitutes court packing. Is that constitute court packing? Uh, Sorry, folks, that is not what court packing is. 
court packing is what FDR tried to do. When he wasn't having success in the courts, they were, they were uh, saying that some of his New Deal legislation was unconstitutional. And he said, I have an idea. Let's just add seats to the court, and then I can fill all these seats. You can't get rid of them because uh, the justices you don't like because they have life tenure, but we'll add seats. That is what we talk about when we talk about court packing. That is what Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself rejected. That's what FDR's own Democratic Party, even though he was an incredibly popular president, rejected wholeheartedly because they knew that is politicizing the court in a way that is totally inappropriate. That's what Bernie Sanders himself has rejected, saying it would lead to a, just a quid pro quo back and forth. You'd have 87 justices eventually because each party would do it. Why is it so hard for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to say, nope, we're not going to go there. We're not going to try to just have a purely partisan power grab on the third branch of government. It should be a really easy yes or no question. And yet they're, they're saying not only we're not going to answer it, but the American people don't even deserve to know what someone who is running for president of the United States do with respect to a major issue like packing the Supreme Court. Uh, it's, it's really outrageous. It really is, because if it works and you're able to run for president, and not tell anyone what you're going to do. That's what's going to happen for now on. And, and, and if, he's, if he wins no, and never takes one controversial decision during the campaign, no one will ever do that again. And no one's going to say, well, it didn't stop Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, we talk about October surprises. He wants a November surprise. He wants it like, hey, vote for me. And then in November, you'll find out what you got. That is crazy. That is not, right. That's not the American system. And, you're supposed to tell the people what you want, and then they can decide which policies they want and which person they want to be president. So, Carrie, in, in, in layman's terms, for the non-legal scholar like you are, for people listening right now, they're saying if she is – if uh, Amy uh, – if Amy uh, Coney Barrett is so uh, Catholic and is very pro-life, how can she possibly not bring those beliefs to the bench? What do you tell them? Well, what's so interesting is she, of all people, has really thought through this question. She wrote a, one of her first scholarly articles about the question, in this case, of Catholicism and the death penalty. What if, you're, what if you believe the death penalty is immoral and you're a Catholic judge? Can you sit on those cases? And her conclusion is not, well, you know, it's a higher law. You just go with what you know is religiously correct. Her conclusion is not, you know, put your conscience in your back pocket and just ignore it. Her conclusion is if there were a case, um, and, and, you know, hopefully in most cases it would never come up, but if there were a case where your religious beliefs came to a different conclusion than what the legal conclusion is, you simply have to refuse as a judge. I think that's exactly the right answer. I don't think anyone could ask any more or less from a judge, and that would apply whether they're Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, you know, whatever. And I think that's, that is exactly right. So she's someone who doesn't think um, and has really thought through the question, doesn't think her, her religious beliefs trump. Uh, she thinks there, she's, she is bound by her oath to uphold the law. Gotcha. Uh, and she's going to ask that uh, 20 ways to Sunday, and then they're going to insist oh, and she recuse herself uh, from the process. Carrie, thanks so much. You're extremely sought after. We appreciate your quality time. All right. Thanks. Uh, Carrie Severino, president of the Judicial Crisis Network, former clerk to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. So when we come back, I'll be able to take some more of your calls. one 408 Senator Cornyn is now questioning, excuse me, offering opening statements, 10 minutes in length, roughly, uh, of Amy Coney Barrett as she sits there with a mask on, but ready to go with her family immediately to the right. Back in a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But enough about COVID. Let's focus on the two issues Americans do care about. Swine flu and fracking. Now, if anyone should be talking about fracking, it's my guy, Joe Biden. Joe Biden fracks in his free time. Joe Biden will frack you so good, Pennsylvania. And while I personally wanted to ban fracking, now that I know Pennsylvania loves it, I just want to say this. You guys can bet on your Wawa cheesesteak hoagie and all the water in Schuylkill River that your Biden ain't being in fracking. Go Wiggles. All right. Uh, uh, my fault again. I have to uh, put, um, put the screens. I'm trying to watch what's going on. Senator Dick Durbin is speaking right now, opening remarks with the uh, Amy Coney Barrett hearings uh, we're hearing right now. So he's going to talk about is uh, Senator Dick Durbin, one of our harshest critics, uh, how she's not worthy of the bench. She hadn't had experience, didn't vote for her last time. So I could have voted for her this time. But I was SNL. Uh, it is decided that they have to have a point of view to the point where they have to use humor behind. That was mildly humorous. There was nothing else humorous except for the Bill Burr uh, monologue. I thought it was very risque. It was out there. It's what comedians do. They push the envelope. Everyone's outraged. He was asked to do SNL. He does, he's one of the elite comedians in the country. And he has a point of view with the cancel culture and everything that we talk about on this show. But he goes and does it on stage, and everyone's apoplectic on it. And he took on a lot. He, he took on the idiocy of people trying to cancel John Wayne, who has been dead for 40 years. People are upset by that. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Paul, let's see on the Fox News Radio app in Redwood City, California. Hey, Paul. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. How are things over there? How are the, how are the fires? I'm a fireman, actually, so it's pretty interesting right now. Is, is it near you? But, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we uh, travel all over the state to uh, to battle the blaze, wherever it may be. Oh, wow. So hang in there, man. What's in your mind? You know, I just was listening to you this morning as I'm driving to work, and I, it just started to kind of bring me back to when Obamacare was on the docket and they were holding just that enormous uh, – stack of papers and nancy pelosi is saying you know we have to pass it to find out what's in it it's, it's it's identical to what the biden campaign is doing right now they're not telling us anything they're like hey just elect me and then you know then you'll find out it's just crap it's you we, we should have a higher standard and i thought i thought i balanced it out well if mitt romney didn't tell you what he was going to do that wouldn't be fair if, if Donald Trump didn't tell you what he was going to do, you'd even vote to vote against him. These men and women are not going to tell us anything anymore. If Biden's able to win by staying out of every controversial decision, refusing to answer with dumb redirects, really, it really inartful redirects, unimaginative redirects to the point where Jake Tapper, Jonathan Swan and others who normally – not Jonathan Swan's case, but Jonathan Carl's case, we just let him have a pass. It's so insulting. They even are stopping down on it. <laughs> yep. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Keep fighting. Peter, K-I-V-A, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Peter. Hi, Brian. I'm just calling because of stack in the court. I figure they're going to do it. But I think the real question is, 
how long after they pack the court are they going to decree that Republicans are subhuman and then, you know, therefore they can do whatever they want to them because, and I've been watching Tucker, Tucker, Newt Gingrich, Hannity, they're all saying, well, these people are arranging the domination of our government and they're going to, you know, arrange it forever, dominate us forever. It's not forever. It's for a thousand years. Listen, I, we tell you the plan. They got to add some states, add some centers, maybe even add districts. How? Fox Nation presents podcasts. Women of the Bible speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak: The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're watching the proceedings with uh, Amy Coney Barrett and her hope to be on the Supreme Court Justice, uh, to be the next Supreme Court Justice. Uh, Democrats are digging in. They're basically saying, hey, she's going to get rid of Obamacare, bringing up child children that use health care and trying to make as though she's anti-children. I'm not really sure that's going to fly with a mom of seven uh, with uh, two adopted kids. We'll see. Uh, well, it depends on how you're going to phrase it. Douglas Murray's going to come up. Uh, he is a, a great writer, associate editor for The Spectator, and author of the book The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. We'll talk to him about this country right now. He's British, but he's extremely worried. Michael Goodwin coming up next, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Secretary Mnuchin is up to $1.8 trillion, uh, so the bid and the offer is uh, narrowing somewhat between the two sides. President Trump actually has always said, I mean, I've heard him say it in the Oval, as far as the key elements are concerned, he would go further. Well, that is Larry Kudlow uh, talking about the stimulus package. We need another rescue plan, but it doesn't seem as though both sides want to get together, even though the money's getting close. Unbelievable. You had the Speaker of the House say $1.8 trillion won't cover anything. $1.8 trillion? Speaking of the most country's 10-year budget. Uh, and now you tell us, lockdowns? Not worth the risk. That, according to the WHO and a m- numerous studies, after we would bring the country to its knees and can't stand it back up. Thanks. Number two. Uh, we're doing this hearing uh, just like we've done uh, Alito, Roberts, Sotomayor, Kagan. You start out with a day of introductions. Each senator gets 10 minutes to deliver their opening statement. Judge Barrett will appear at the end of the day to give her opening statement, and we'll hear from a few other folks. That's Monday. I do not think this will be a circus, but, man, it is going to be about politics. Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation. She's too smart, too well-respected to diminish. But that didn't stop him with Kavanaugh. What do you think? Number one. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know no, where No, they don't. Stands? I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, <laughs> and I've, I've already said something on, on Patrick Corpett. He'd love that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. Yeah, that is uh, Joe Biden. The audacity to say we do not have the right to know what he's going to do. The election is 22 days away. We do not know if he's going to pack the court. The answer is yes. He just won't tell us because he thinks we're children. And if he's able to get away with this, there's no presidential candidate will ever go on the record with any controversial decision again. And right now, by, by most polls, he is leading. Which brings me to Michael Goodwin. Michael Goodwin's column focused on the fact that a Gallup poll revealed that 56 percent of the country, even in the middle of a pandemic, say they're better off now than they were before Trump took office. Does that matter, Michael, come Election Day? 
Uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, well, it certainly should matter, and, and that's the focus of my column. Why, uh, given those findings, which are historically, uh, you know, in the in the stratosphere, uh, because other presidents did not do nearly as well on that question, and yet still won re-election. So uh, Barack Obama and George W. Bush, for example. So why is President Trump so far behind in the polls? And look, I'm not one of those who thinks that all the polls are rigged. I think the CNN poll are rigged, and I think some of them may, others may be off, but the trend is pretty clear, and I think there's no denying that, there, that the trend shows Joe Biden in the lead, uh, perhaps by double digits nationally and by single digits in most of the swing states. So why is the president not getting the benefit of this, of this feel-good uh, reaction to this poll? And my argument is that Many people uh, have, in effect, uh, separated the president's policies from the president's personality. They don't like his personality. They feel good. The, the, the policies have had an impact on their lives and on their feeling about the future for their families, but they just really don't like the president's personality. Uh, and so they, they have this split the split verdict. They feel better under his policies, but they don't like him, and they and that is the reason why they tell pollsters they're not going to vote for him. I think there's no other way to read what seems to be good news for the president uh, in the face of the bad news of the polls. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is I've never seen such passion for somebody who's losing by so much. These boat yes. parades, these parades through the street, these marches, this passion, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I I used to see it at international soccer events, World Cups, Olympics, but the, the feeling people have towards Trump is so over the top and it makes me feel as though other people feel that way, but they just don't want to deal with the backlash in today's political environment. That is the hope of the Trump campaign. The, those who will vote are silent. Yes, I know, and and um, I hear from them all the time when I cite the polls that they don't believe the polls, and that the polls are wrong, that the that, that's a hidden vote. Look, it may well be true, but uh, if I were the candidate or the or the running the campaign, I would not put my faith in things that uh, the, the data tells me don't exist. So I would want to move the polls. I, I would I would say we're behind, and how do we fix it. And I think, I think the way to fix it is for, uh, as we were talking before about the, the Joe Biden, I think fundamentally voters can, can look at it this way because it is now still a referendum on Trump. And he loses that. But if you make it a choice between Trump and Biden, between Trump and Pence and Biden and Harris, between Biden refusing to tell us his medical records, before, uh, about Biden refusing to answer the question of Supreme Court packing, about his uh, uh, contradictions on fracking, on taxes, on the Green New Deal. There's a lot that the Biden campaign is not being straight about, and they're getting away with it because the president keeps, make, keeps helping them make it a referendum on him. I mean, that first debate is a good example. He would not let Joe Biden talk. 
And so if Joe Biden had been able to talk, voters might have seen some of the problems with Joe Biden. Instead, the president effectively threw him a lifeline by interrupting him constantly. Uh, So that's the kind of thing that I think somehow in the remaining weeks of this election, the president and his team must find a way to make this a choice election, one where you can't just like Donald Trump and then close your eyes to Joe Biden, but you have to have your eyes wide open on both candidates. And I think if that happens, then Donald Trump has a really good chance, but I wouldn't waste any more time trying to... trying to, you know, tweet every day, trying to demonize, trying to get into fights with your own attorney general, your own secretary of state. It doesn't make any sense at this stage of the game. Uh, The president, if he's going to win, has to put the attention on Joe Biden and take it off himself. Sir, I've got to ask you about packing the courts. And I know that you said yesterday you aren't going to answer the question until after the election. But this is the number one thing that I've been asked about from viewers uh, in the past couple of days. Well, you've been asked by the viewers who are probably Republicans who don't want me continuing to talk about what they're doing to the court right now. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, where they don't. Deserve, I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, and I've, I've already said something on, on Patrick Corpat. He'd love that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. That, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. That's a yes or no. And, and so Kamala Harris said yes already. And he used to say no. Uh, and remember, this is the year 1983, cut three. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to- so what changed? What changed? <laughs> That's a great, I had not heard that clip. That's a great clip. Uh, look, I, I think what changed is Donald Trump has become the license to do whatever you want. Uh, you, can, you can do anything you want because Donald Trump is such a bad guy. That's what the Democrats are running on. But Biden himself recently was asked, you know, if you're not coming out of the basement and you're not talking about the, how are you going to win? And his answer was Trump. Uh, and, and that's the f- reflection that the Democrats are banking on this referendum. And I think that that's why, uh, as you said earlier, Brian, if he gets away with this, it will have changed presidential campaigns. If you, if you are free not to answer any questions, if the debate moderators won't press you on these issues, uh, if you can just sort of hide in your basement, why wouldn't a lot of candidates do that? Why wouldn't they duck the tough questions? Uh, if they can get away with it. And I, so I think that, you know, there's a lot at stake here in letting Biden not answer these questions. I think it's bad for our democracy. I think it gives him a, a wide open, like a blank check. He can do whatever he wants if he's elected, uh, because he will have made so few promises and, and, and drawn so few limits on his own conduct. I mean, you would think that nobody would want that in a president. 
But somehow the hatred for Donald Trump has created a new dynamic uh, among those haters so that they will they will they're blind to any of the faults of Biden. I mean, the fact that Harris is clearly going to be president sometime in that first term, it seems none of that seems to matter. As long as you hate Donald Trump, that's all that matters. And that's why the president has to find a way to shift the focus to Joe Biden and the things he's not telling us. I know it's very tough. There's some things that have happened. I look at Brad Parscale, who was the wonder kid last time around. He ends up shortly with the beer in his hand, wrestled to the ground in Florida. I look at the NRA being sued for their livelihood, for their worth. They've given $9 million. I think last time they gave $80 million towards the Trump campaign. Uh, you've had other people are in and around Trump's orbit that just aren't there this time. And then you have uh, social media groups like Facebook pushing back and Twitter pushing back with the president used masterfully yes. last time. So there's some things happening, including the pandemic, that were impossible to forecast. And Trump seems like a one-man army pushing back against these strong headwinds. Yes, um, his his uh, persistence and, and his strength uh, are, are remarkable attributes. Uh, nobody could take what he has taken. Uh, you know, he even said to me one time that you know most presidents would have t- would be in a fetal position by now, and and that was a year ago. So there's no question that he has been a one man gang. Uh, that he is up against. In- uh, unprecedented odds in the in the media, in particular the Democratic Party, with the impeachment, the Russia, 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 all of it ginned up just for partisan advantage. None of it real, uh, but that that's the. You know, that's the life he's chosen. And to prevail one more time would be a remarkable achievement. But I think he's making it harder on himself in this case. Uh, I've often said that, you know, he brings the rope for the hanging party. He should let them bring their own rope. He shouldn't give them any help. And so I think that... If he if he can pull this off, it'll be remarkable given given the advan- the disadvantages right. he has. All the more reason why he should work very hard to make sure that Joe Biden is the focus of the remaining three weeks of the campaign. And these seniors that have left him allegedly, uh, these uh, uh, Republicans that have decided that Biden's better should realize. It's not moderate Joe Biden from the 80s, number one. Number two is if you look at his policies, you know they're unfinanceable unless you you starve the Defense Department. So every general out there that says this president doesn't act the right way and he didn't go in for the draft. Keep in mind, he funded all your programs. He funded every branch of government. He revamped the VA. Well, you don't like his hair. You don't like his style. You don't like his bluster. But you have people like General Jack Keene who understand the pluses far far outweigh the minuses. Do not complain when Joe Biden comes in with his terrible instincts for foreign policy and his belief, along with his sycophants, that the Defense Department is overfinanced and they begin to suck wind on all their products and programs. And Russia, China, North Korea begin to bolster. No one looks at the other side. They get upset at Trump, but they don't look at the alternative and what he actually did. And I know if Biden wins, we're going to be talking, Michael Goodwin, in March and May about all the Republicans that are so upset about this left-wing administration. Yes, they're going to have, let's see, maybe Andrew Cuomo as attorney general. 
Think about uh, that. Maybe Elizabeth Warren as Treasury Secretary. Guess who's going to be ahead uh, of budget and finance? Bernie Sanders if they lose the Senate. Do you believe right. this? That's right. That's right. Jerry Nadler, Adam Schiff, uh, they'll all be back for, you know, new new roles, new expanded roles. They'll have more influence. They won't just be spitting in the wind in the House. They'll be crafting legislation that will sail through the Senate because they'll, they'll do away with the filibuster rule. So 51 votes will be all they'll need. Anything they want to do, particularly in those first two years yeah. before the public finally wakes up, probably, right. in the midterms, in the 20. 22 midterms. But in the in the intervening two years, if Joe Biden wins, they'll almost certainly win the Senate, it would seem. Uh, and then they would have full command and nothing to stop them. Chuck yes. Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, uh, Harris, Kamala Harris. I mean, what is, what is her role going to be? Good luck so I, I think I think this is going to be a hellish prospect, which Americans should look at now, not later. Yes, that's all we ask. Just just be sober enough to understand what you're doing. Just 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 understand this: the guy's been under attack relentlessly more than anybody else in the world for three and a half years. You might not like it, but the tension and the pre- pressure you put on him brought out some of his worst qualities. But overall, he did what's best for the country and for the conservative cause. And people should understand that now before it's too late. Michael, I know you get it. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Your call's next in Douglas Murray. You're going to love to hear what he has to say. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we got some time, uh, so let's get some calls. Tom, you're listening in Atlanta, Georgia. Sorry the Falcons fired their coach today. Maybe you're happy about it. Uh, they look so promising this year, but they were 0-5, uh, like the Giants and Jets. Uh, but, Tom, what's on your mind? Don't care about the football thing. Okay, so I called both my senators and my congressman, who happens to be at the moment, Doug Collins, and said this is a seminal issue for this election, and that is unless we re-elect pre- President Trump – hold the Senate and hopefully regain the House, we will never see the light of day of what's happened to this president before and since he was elected. You're right. And and, and that is I am I cannot say the words on the radio, nor did I say it in my messages to my elected officials, how angry, how mad and how disappointed I am at both uh, in, in, in the Justice Department, let me just leave it at that, for not giving us that information. And some, some would say, Brian, that, oh, well, it might affect the election. Well, yeah, hello. Inquiring voters want to know the truth. It's very frustrating. The president went off yesterday, even on his own attorney general. I hear you. But people should understand what's at stake. That is something is at stake. The court is at stake. Adding two states is at stake. The Defense Department financing is at stake. The tax uh, the tax cuts are at stake. The corporate tax rate that brought all these companies home, manufacturing, is all at stake. All these will go into social programs. We're building windmills, goodbye fracking. That's happening. Don't tell you. Don't let people tell you. Oh, that's just rhetoric. It is happening. There's the only way Joe Biden got the nomination. 
is if he signed up for all this stuff. And he did. Believe me. Even if he doesn't remember, he did. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There are two different jobs, Chris. You're right, I'm pro-life, and I stood for election before the voters in Nebraska, and I get to do that again in 23 days, and I, I ask them for their vote, and I tell them my policy positions. If Amy Barrett were running for the United States Senate from the state of Illinois, she would have policy positions that she'd lay out to the American people. That isn't what a judge's job is. And that's the big difference that we're seeing here today. Everyone gives their opening 10 minutes speeches, and there's uh, 10 Democrats and there's 12 Republicans and Senator Cruz going right now. But what everyone's doing, if you're a Democrat, is just pointing out not what's wrong with Amy Coney Barrett, but how she in the past wrote about how John Roberts blew the case and was uh, wrong to keep Obamacare on track when he had the opportunity to declare it unconstitutional because of the— uh, because of the mandate and other things that are that force people to get health care, which is against uh, the Bill of Rights. And that's what John Roberts thought. So here we go. Now, instead of going after Barrett, they're going after that. They're going after Roe v. Wade. And that was pointed out by Ted Cruz just now and Ben Sass yesterday that she's not running for office. There's nothing to do with that. She's going to look at the law that's before her and what's being contested about that law before her. And that's how she's going to rule. And she's going to cite Justice Scalia as her mentor, who she knows quite well, and kind of like the person that she would serve like, which makes some people very upset. Everyone appreciates his intellect on the left, but they didn't appreciate his policies or a lot of his decisions and a lot of his dissents. That goes without saying. Uh, ben Sass also had this prediction for today. He's the senator from Nebraska, cut 19. So first of all, the 2012 case, the Roberts opinion there, which I disagree with, is a different case than the case that's before the court now. And every time people have said they can predict how judges are going to rule in the future, they're almost always disappointed and wrong. And so obviously President Trump says a whole bunch of things. Uh, and so he may say something that's more outcomes based. But for those of us who sit on the committee or those of us who are making the judgment about how we'll vote in the United States Senate on Amy Barrett's nomination and her ultimate confirmation, is because of how she spells out what the job of a judge is. And that is not outcome-based. And that's uh, what we're going to be seeing today. And it's going to be a little bit of a distraction. It's going to be, as usual, two major stories going on at the same time. Well, three, the pandemic overall. The pandemic had the president's handling it. And, of course, the election, 2022, 2020. What is Joe Biden doing? What is President Trump doing? Well, President Trump in Orlando today, Florida, of course. WDBO listeners have a chance to go to the airport and see him when he lands in Sanford on uh, on. Uh, Tuesday, he's going to go to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, a place in which his goal will be to get out, believe it or not, the 2.4 million white voters without a college education that voted for him last time, but he did not get them to out to vote for him in great numbers in Pennsylvania. If he wants those 20 electoral votes, that's going to be the way to do it. And then he'll go to Des Moines. Iowa, and then Greenville, North Carolina. He's worried about North Carolina for good reason. Democrats in charge there of the government, but president's polling about even with president with Vice President Biden right now. Larry, listening online in Indianapolis. Hey, Larry. Hey, 
Hey, Brian, adding to your last guest, I'm extremely frustrated that Biden's not answering questions. I think President Trump uh, is the only one that can pull that out of him. And I hope for the last two or three weeks before the election that Trump can repeatedly ask Biden, force Biden to answer the questions the press is not uh, is not an answer, uh, asking. Uh, in the debate, I'd like to see Trump just answer his questions uh, very positively, 30 to 60 seconds, and then defer the remaining part of his time and ask Joe specifically what he would do differently about the pandemic, China, uh, Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just, uh, again, there's got to be a way to get Joe to answer questions. And I think Trump can do it, but he has to become more disciplined and uh, take that message to the American people. Yeah, I mean, he does. And that's why it was really not a good move just to immediately say, I'm not going to do the debate on Wednesday via remote because who knows? Now that it's clear, he's been cleared to do rallies. I, you know, Frank Farenkopf, who was the Republican on the election committee, was on with us Friday. You may have heard him. And he said, look, I couldn't get anyone to work this. Everyone was so nervous about him showing up with the virus and his people with the virus. No one wanted to work it. So I really had no choice. I had to make a quick decision. Number one, should have waited. At to at least late afternoon so we could thoroughly vet out the aftermath of the vice presidential debate. Number two, why don't you confer? I mean, we watch, we watch these uh, videotape replays in football. Everyone confers. It doesn't, you don't lose authority because you confer with people before you make that move. Sean, listen, WLKF in Lakewood. Hey, Sean. Yeah, hi, Brian. Um, I think I heard on your, your program that uh, the— the voter roll for California was like 111% of the population. I uh, wasn't on my show, but they're having huge ballot issues. Well, all these states that have forced ballots out to everybody, if the voter rolls aren't accurate, how can those ballots be counted? They can't it be. shouldn't be legal. They can't be, and I hope they don't check. You know, then they got to do the cross section with the signature too, and they got to make sure they sign the back of the ballot, depending on what state you're in. So it's much harder to get your votes counted if you're mailing it in. Period. But a lot of these people are 100 percent healthy. They're not, they they are uh, able to walk down there and vote, and they're choosing not to vote in person if you want your vote to count. You see it over and over again. New Jersey and New York are plagued with double ballots. You know, we got this one note. If you got two ballots in the mail. Uh, just use the second. What kind of advice is that? Andrew in Memphis, Tennessee. Andrew. Yes, Brian. I want, want you to know I've been a Fox and Friends viewer for a long time. Thank you. One thing, you know, with these polls, something to keep in mind is in 2008, oh, it's, Obama was the biggest rock star in the world, and he beat McCain by seven points. Yep. For a poll to suggest a feeble old white guy that hides out in the basement – uh, for uh, 99% of the day would win by more than that is ludicrous. I agree. But the, he is up in almost every poll. In five of the battleground states, he has over 50%. 50%. This happened in 2016. Brian, Brian we went through all this in 2016, that an uncharismatic 70-year-old woman was going to win by more than Obama did. Yeah, listen, all I want to do is the president to get control of the message. He was a lot more disciplined in 2016. Get control of the message. Tell us what you want to say. Make the points. Be happy about it. Be optimistic about it. And don't give people open shots while you challenge them. And my goodness, whatever time, if you can debate again, debate again, because that would be key. one 408 We come back. I'll take more of your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know.
Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. How stupid is that cancel thing? They're literally running out of people to cancel. They're going after dead people now. They're trying to cancel John Wayne. It's like that dude, God did that 40 years ago. They're all up in arms. They're like, did you hear what he said in that interview in Playboy in 1970? Can you believe that? It's like, yeah, he was born in 1907. That's what these people sounded like. You never talked to your grandparents and brought up the wrong subject, and all of a sudden it went off the rails. Oh, grandma. Just keep making the cookies. And that was Bill Burr, the host of SNL, and that was what he does on stand-up. Made him probably the top five comic in the country. He speaks his mind, talks about the culture. Isn't that what comedians are supposed to do? Not today. They went crazy on the very liberal SNL, which I find unwatchable because all they want to do is be political uh, in a partisan way. Douglas Murray is with us now, associate editor of The Spectator and author of a great book, Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. Douglas, uh, thanks so much for doing the show again. And I wanted you to hear that because I think it plays to what you're talking about. You don't talk about comedians, but you talk about this country and the unwillingness to listen. And we have to reaffirm free speech, right? He's getting blowback for that. It's great to be with you. And yes, I know comedians have been at the front line of all of these speech wars for some time. And there's a reason for that, which is that comedians are meant to make people laugh. And what's more, comedians make people laugh by saying things that we recognize to be true. But here we have this new generation of people who've come along, radical left-wing activists, who've decided that they've got to stop people recognizing things that are true. They've got to rewrite not just the present, but, as he said, the past. And nothing at all can be funny. You look back at the great comedians that America has gifted the world in recent decades, so many of them wouldn't make it in today's climate because they would have been canceled over. Douglas, I want you, I want you to hear a little bit more. i got to tell you, the way white women somehow hijack the woke movement, generals around the world should be analyzing this. <laughs> Just to refresh your memory, the woke movement was supposed to be about people of color not getting opportunities, the at-bats that they deserved, finally making that happen. And it was about that for about eight seconds. And then somehow, white women swung their Gucci-booted feet over the fence of oppression and stuck themselves at the front of the line. I don't know how they did it. I've never heard so much complaining in my life from white women. My name is so hard with my SUV and my heated seats. You have no idea what it's like to be me. So you get it. You're not supposed to say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's just great. Um, you know, I watched uh, Saturday Night Live the other day, and I just thought, you know, this used to be a comedy slot. And there was nothing comedy in it. And that's because they cannot dare to hover over subjects that need to be ridiculed. I know. As as we've just heard, the woke movement deserves to be ridiculed. It's ridiculous. 
And so many people now in American public life, writers, comedians, everyone, are cowed from saying what we all know to be true. And the result is why people don't don't take in comedy as much as they used to. It's why the movies have been a bit rubbish in recent years, because nobody dares to hover over the things that we should be looking at and indeed laughing at. You know, all of the, all of the things that we grew up laughing at have become unfunny because they don't dare to tell things that are true. Well, look, Eddie Murphy has apologized for his stand-up. You know, we had uh, Kevin Hart being X'd out of the Emmys or whatever he was supposed to host the Oscars because of stuff he said six years ago on stage or tweeted out. So I just, I don't want to go analyze comedians with you. It's not using all your talent and experience, but it all plays into our lives. You make one mistake, you're fired, you're done, yeah. you're finished, you're through. Absolutely. And the, but this is the point, is that the comedian thing is just an example of it, a very, a very visible one, because, you know, frankly, you either laugh at a joke or you don't, and that should be the end of it. But we now have this vengeful culture that has come into the country, this vengeful culture that says to everybody, if you're not in line with what we think you should be in line with, signed up to in 2020, if you haven't taken on all of the ideas, many of which came up roughly, oh, 2019, uh, then you're over. There's no excuse for you. This, this, is, this is a culture that makes it incredibly difficult for young people to make mistakes. It makes them terribly nervous about what to do in the world. You know, you feel it already in the culture. People just don't think they can get away with saying things they recognize to be true. And you have people, you know, not even public figures. You have people who have never been a public figure, who have their lives destroyed because of one Facebook posting. I give an example in the Madison Crowd that came up a couple of years ago. A girl in America went to high school prom, wore a nice red dress that had a Chinese theme, posted it on the Internet, comes back, and she's trending worldwide because everyone says her outfit is racist. And, you know, when people say that, oh, you know, the next generation is snowflakes, I've got a lot of sympathy for the next generation because a world in which you could post a photo of your prom dress and be cancelled within a couple of hours is a world that is totally unforgiving and it's time that the adults in our culture worked out how to stop that because it's a world that the young cannot live in. I mean, the best example is the NBA. They put Black Lives Matter, even though that organization has been, the more we look at it, the more horrified people are. And then you have social justice phrases on the back. But if you put Blue Lives Matter on your back, you were not allowed to play basketball. How, how is that free speech? But I digress. Big picture. Well, what changes, yeah. what changes if, if Biden becomes president? It's very interesting. We have had a strange period because, of course, we haven't been gathering in public. You know, I think, by the way, that kind of BLM sports team stuff wouldn't have happened if we had full stadiums. There's a reason. The stadiums wouldn't necessarily put up with it. I know in my home country, the UK, they wouldn't. You wouldn't have the soccer terraces uh, kneeling uh, uh, to BLM. Uh, so, so the problem is that we haven't been gathering together. And it's quite hard in that situation to work out what people think. Biden and Harris are quite good at this whole thing of saying things that are not popular, but are things that people think they're meant to say and keep their mouths shut. 
they're running against a president who has made it his absolute talent to say things that people agree with, even though the media and everyone else runs against him. Uh, so this is, at a great, to a great extent, an election over these issues. Are we going to live in a country where people say what they think, whatever that is, or do we live in this country where we sort of police things and look for things to say? You saw Harris do it in the Veep debate. Harris tried to imply that something the president had said about a, a rocket attack on an American base after the killing of Soleimani was a sort of offensive thing. And you sat there watching, you thought, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you talking about the real world? Why aren't you talking about the Soleimani killing that was the issue at stake? Why are you talking about some words the president used afterwards? What's this game you're playing? Uh, and that's the problem uh, they've got stuck in. They've got so stuck, the left in this country, they've got so stuck in policing little bits of language and little bits of ideas, they've forgotten all the big things, the economy, China, everything else. They've played this silly little parochial game and let the world go to hell. So, so Douglas, when you look at all that, and having said that, I 100% agree with you, do you believe we're, we could be in for a surprise? Because the polls have everyone thinking, you know, that Trump is done. I don't believe that. Do you? You know, I'm traveling around the country at the moment to try to work this out for myself. I would normally believe the polls. The polls were off last time. We all know that. Uh, the polls are all showing the same thing this time. But there are weird... Go ahead. Did you drop off? Oh. So he doesn't sure about the polls, but, I mean, how right uh, on is he? The average person, the reason why there is a silent Trump vote is everything Douglas Murray's talked about, and he puts in his book, Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. It's because people look around and go, okay, you're going to judge me by who I vote for? Keep my mouth shut. I'm not changing my vote. I'm keeping my mouth shut. Oh, and uh, you don't think I'm worthy of hanging out with you because I'm voting for Biden or Trump? I'm only going to hang out with people that are not going to judge me. Or maybe they're going to vote for the person that I'm voting for. Maybe judging by the lawn sign. You hang out with lawn sign people, so you know where to go. And that's why we're more polarized, but that's why we have 8 million people already voted in these polls. It's going to be a huge turnout election. It matters a lot. Keep you up to date on everything going on. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order any of my books, including Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot of action already on this Monday morning, and here's what's going on. They're trying to get uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, confirmed, so they're just starting with their opening statements. The Democrats are using that time to talk about Obamacare and people needing health care. We know Obamacare is terrible. We know the deductibles are too high, and nobody wants any of the coverage. But the problem for Republicans, they never came with a replacement. They just came to, to hammer this and cut this up. And it's bizarre because it, uh, Miss Barrett is the one up there, but no one's talking about her. They're talking about how she wants to strike down Obamacare. 
Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Secretary Mnuchin is up to $1.8 trillion. Uh, so the bid and the offer is uh, narrowing somewhat between the two sides. President Trump actually has always said, I mean, I've heard him say it in the Oval, as far as the key elements are concerned, he would go further. Yeah, that is Larry Kudlow talking about the rescue package that we say we need, the Fed says we need. I think the average American thinks we need, sadly. I wish we didn't need so much, but we're still shut down thanks to many Democratic governors and without being effective in effectively controlling this uh, the virus, in which way we are shielding the people that should fear it most. And now you tell us lockdowns are not worth the risk. Multiple studies, and now the World Health Organization agree. Uh, don't lock down. It's not worth it. Thanks. We've already locked down the world, and we're having trouble standing back up. And now you tell us. Number two. Uh, we're doing this hearing just like we've done uh, Alito, Roberts, Sotomayor, Kagan. You start out with a day of introductions. Each senator gets 10 minutes to deliver their opening statement. Judge Barrett will appear at the end of the day to give her opening statement, and we'll hear from a few other folks. That's Monday. And we're hearing it right now, and I'll bring you some of the highlights. Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing start now. Uh, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Is she expected to get confirmed? Will it be a carnival and a circus like Kavanaugh? I don't think so, but I think it'll be ugly, and I'm seeing it already. Number one. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know no, where No, they don't deserve. I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, and I've, I've already said something on, on Patrick Corpat. He'd love that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. Joe Biden uh, in Nevada trying to win them over by not answering a question. How insulting. Election 22 days away. Biden lets America know you don't deserve the truth when it comes to the Supreme Court packing or adding states or adding districts and congressional districts into the House. What else is he not telling us? As a revitalized Donald Trump promises a rally a day, 22 straight, first stop today, Florida. Now, let me give you an idea of what's happening with uh, Amy Coney Barrett's hearing. Here's a little of the give and take with the ranking member and Senator John Cornyn who is in a tough fight to keep his Senate seat in Texas. There have been 70 attempts to to repeal the ACA, but clearly the effort to dismantle the law continues, and they are asking the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act. Democrats and their allies shouldn't claim to know how any judge would rule in any particular case. Ultimately... The left praised these very justices that they attacked. Their doomsday prediction failed to pan out. That's Senator Chuck Grassley uh, making it clear, not uh, Cornyn, my bad, making it clear that nobody knows how these judges are going to go. And everyone has their beliefs and they can write what they want. But when it comes behind the bench, it's what good cases in front of you. And not what you think should be done or what your religion says should be done. It's what the law says you should do. And what I was earlier referring to is um, they are not really speaking to her and saying her credentials are bad and, you know, you're too young or you have too many kids or you're Catholic. And I'm afraid you're going to bring your Catholic beliefs there. All they're talking about is Obamacare. And soon they're going to be talking about Roe v. Wade. And they're going to say this is the woman that's going to destroy both things. What's their goal? To stop the nomination, yes, but more importantly, have that play into the election, which is uh, 22 days away. But what other people should understand, too, is not only is the Obamacare not on the line, and it not only even though she was critical of John Roberts not striking it down a few years ago, 
Bud uh, when Barack Obama was president. But it's a different case. He brought that up. Did Ben Sass, a legal scholar out of Nebraska, the senator, cut 19. So first of all, the 2012 case, the Roberts opinion there, which I disagree with, is a different case than the case that's before the court now. And every time people have said they can predict how judges are going to rule in the future, they're almost always disappointed and wrong. And so obviously President Trump says a whole bunch of things. Uh, and so he may say something that's more outcomes based. But for those of us who sit on the committee or those of us who are making the judgment about how we'll vote in the United States Senate on Amy Barrett's nomination and her ultimate confirmation, is because of how she spells out what the job of a judge is. And that is not outcome-based. And what he's saying is, if I'm running for, if I'm, she's running for my Senate seat, she better tell me what's going on. And she would. And you can read what she wrote. But she's not, and she isn't. But that didn't stop Chris Coons, who used to be level-headed, cut 16. I'm going to be laying out the ways in which Judge Barrett's views, um, her views on reaching back and reconsidering and overturning long-settled precedent, are not just extreme, they're disqualifying. She has taught at a well-regarded law school. She clerked for Justice Scalia. But she has views that make her not qualified to serve on the Supreme Court. In his mind. But... As Justice Kagan, Justice Sotomayor, no one liked uh, Scalia. Everybody voted for Scalia. Yeah, Ginsburg, everybody voted for Ginsburg. Uh, Sotomayor, just about everybody voted for her. And I think uh, they all had 70 votes. But not anymore. Not with the Republicans. And now a simple majority is all they need. They lost Collins. They may have lost Murkowski. I am not sure. And that's when it comes to the open floor. So the president of the United States is going to use this to run on. Uh, well, it would have helped if the president didn't say she's going to overturn. He's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Didn't say that he's going to get. She's going to get rid of Obamacare. That that gives something to the illegal scholars on the left, and they tell Dick Durbin what to say, and then they go out and say it publicly. So that's where we're at right now. But the other big story is what Joe Biden is able to run and not be fully tested, not be fully vetted, not sit down for a long interview where he's got to justify some of his friendships with people like uh, Strom Thurmond and uh, Senator Byrd, where he was keynote speaker. What he's done in the 70s and 80s, when it, some of the stuff that he has said, some of the things that he has done, it has not come out because he has not sat down. What I think is worse is he does not answer questions about what he's going to do. I'm not for the New Green Deal, but, sir— in your platform, on your website, it says it's the framework for your energy policy. Oh, I'm not for fracking, but, sir, in 2019, you said you're going to ban fracking. Well, that was then. Well, you said it to Bernie Sanders in 2020. And Bernie Sanders even questioned you. You said, no, it's on your website. It doesn't say you're, you're going to ban it. He goes, no, we're getting rid of fracking. So when people say if you're in the oil and gas industry, well, you like being the, the Saudi Arabia, now have what Saudi Arabia has, export more than you import, and you take great pride in that, or you're involved from a secretary at a fracking firm, or you're actually drilling on a platform, you know that your, your livelihood's at stake. And at the very least, know who you're voting for. So listen to Joe Biden try to explain himself. Cut to. The only court packing going on right now going on with Republicans packing the court now. It's not constitutional what they're doing. We should be focused on what's happening right now. <laughs> and the fact is that the only packing going on is this court is being packed now by the Republicans after the vote has already begun. Listen, there's that's that called packing. You might not like that they're filling the seat. Debate that, but don't insult us. 
as as Americans and say it's packing. It confuses people that don't spend their lives in courts. What the packing is, what they do, is you add Supreme Court justices there. There will be two liberal judges, at which time they will try to water down and change decisions made by the other nine. If I'm even one of the liberal attorneys, I'm like, really? Don't water down my opinions. I spent all my time trying to get here. Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, he wishes they would just be honest because I know for sure, this is my words, I know for sure they're going to do it. Cut 10. I believe that if the Democrats get control of the presidency, the Senate and the House, they will try to pack the court, not because of Mr. Biden, but because of Senator Sanders. I think it's clear to most Americans that Mr. Biden is just a vessel. The prophet here is Senator Sanders. Mr. Biden is the nominee, but Bernie's the head of the party. And he wants court packing. And they want court packing because they see the United States Supreme Court as a mini-Congress. Bernie supports open borders. He knows that, at least right now, he can't open our borders to anybody who wants to come to America. So he sees the United States Supreme Court as a place to go to get the votes. He thinks Supreme Court justices are politicians in robes. So you might be saying, well, you know, I don't love the way President uh, President Trump talks about the virus. I don't I don't love the way some of his tweets come out. I don't love the fact that he challenges everyone nonstop, whether you're a celebrity, a sports star or you're a uh, Republican or Democratic senator. You know, I don't like the way he um, he fires his staff. OK, go ahead. That's a great debate by the barbecue. But just so you know, the alternative isn't Dwight Eisenhower. It isn't Abraham Lincoln. It is Joe Biden, who was not appealing to the American public as a national figure in his 50s. He was not appealing in his 60s. And he is, at 77 years old, he stands for nothing. He is clearly in decline. And when he gets, if he gets into power, he'll bring the Senate with him. Logic tells you, tradition reveals it. They'll bring the Senate with him. And he'll bring Bernie Sanders in charge of the budget, Elizabeth Warren in charge of the nation's financing. Are you okay with that? And when it comes to financing these bills and this redistribution of wealth that AOC talks about, guess who's going to pay? You and the Pentagon. So if you want a weak defense, if you want social spending without your say, if you want politicians in office who don't tell you what they're going to do, you have that. And it's important for you to know what you're voting for in 22 days. I don't like President Trump took his mask off and walked in after a week in the hospital. You know, I don't I don't like that he did that thing with that the Rose Garden. I like that tweet this morning. I don't like the push uh, the push and pull with the stimulus package. Okay, great debate. Let's talk about it. Talk about what it means for the Senate races. But you're not dealing with somebody who's known as a moderate on the left. You know, John Kerry, I think, is liberal, but now he'd be looked at as moderate. You had uh, interesting debates going on on the political landscape where there wasn't much difference between candidates. There could not be more difference, especially when you get rid of the filibuster, which you know will happen. So even mainstream outlets who are desperately trying to get Joe Biden elected cannot handle their audacity to not answer the question, are you going to pack the court? Listen to Kate Benningfield, who runs the Biden campaign on CNN. Biden opposes adding justices to the court. He has for decades. So why is he refusing to weigh in on it now? Because Donald Trump and the Republicans don't get to set the terms of this debate. The idea of adding justices to the Supreme Court came from the progressive side of the Democratic Party. It's just a simple question. He has long been against adding justices to the court. 
Has he changed his mind or does he have the same position he's had since at least 1983? But look, see, I think you only have to look at how hard, for example, Vice President Pence wanted to go at this in the debate last week rather than answer a question about what his administration would do to protect pre-existing conditions. We are, we they, don't wanna, they don't want to defend that. I get it. And we ask Republicans those questions, but but we get to ask Democrats questions, too. And this is a simple. It's a uh, you see what's got, even he couldn't handle it. When we come back, Tom Bevan, the state of the race the trends, and what could be done in 22 days. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, we've been looking at our numbers internally as well. We are not seeing that. Uh, We've seen the president actually increase in his numbers. I think voters are very frustrated by the corrupt debate commission that they would cancel a second debate. I think it feeds into the belief that this 47 years that Joe Biden has has had in D.C. is again protecting him from facing the voters. And that was uh, Ronna McDaniel uh, suffering from the coronavirus, but a couple more days she'll be out talking about the internal polls better than the polls that we see publicly from Quinnipiac on down. She says they lean left. What's the reality? Real Clear Politics does a great job uh, putting that all together, doing the averages, and also collecting some great articles. Matt Bevan's a part of that. Uh, Matt Bevan is co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics. Uh, Tom, welcome. Hey, good to be with you, Brian. So, so Tom, things look pretty grim from the public polls. Does uh, is this still winnable from the Trump perspective? Sure. I mean, there's three weeks left. I think I think Trump has to close some ground in some of these battleground states, right? He's lost uh, he's lost some ground since the debate. In I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, you know, in Florida, for example, his he was trailing by one. Now he's trailing by over three and a half. In North Carolina, he was trailing by about a half a point now it's one and a half um so you know he's he's got to make that ground back up and certainly um there's time to do that but he's you know it's got to start happening it's got to start happening pretty soon what do you think could help him most i guess where he's hurting most is with seniors and with seniors uh, they say i don't know if you subscribe to it they're upset by the handling the coronavirus what could he do to make up that gap in this time well, that's a good question because I think, you know, a lot of minds are already made up about that. That's a thing that's been going on for months and months, and you're right. Um, he has been losing the support of seniors. That's a group he won in 2016, and he's now trailing. Um, so I'm not sure what he can do. I mean, the, the best thing Trump has going for him, he's got a couple things, right? One is that the economy is still the number one issue on the minds of voters in some polls by a long way, and he has still got an edge over Biden uh, on the economy. And that's lower than it was before coronavirus hit, but but she still got it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, he's offsetting, I think, some of that. Um, he, he's doing better among minority voters, Hispanics in particular, in some of these states, um, like Florida, like North Carolina. And I think those are, you know, they continue to – he's going to win more of the African-American vote, I think, than, than any Republican in the modern era. He's going to win more uh, Hispanic vote than he won in 2016— not sure he's going to get to George W. Bush's number, but but I think he's going to win more, um, and and that's something that 
you know, could matter in some of these states if, if it ends up being really, really close. So I hear that in Pennsylvania in particular, he can really try to maximize the high school educated white voter because 2.4 million stayed home last time and he still won. Correct. Now, the, you know, the question is, uh, is like, what what is the turnout going to be? And is this a is this a base election? Um, I think both campaigns subscribe to the idea that it probably is. Um, that there aren't a lot of decided or undecided voters out there and not a ton of persuadables. Um, but we'll have to, you know, that that's not a knowable thing until until November 4th. But, um, yeah, there's certainly there's certainly uh, particularly in those states. You mentioned Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, there are opportunities there for Trump. Again, time's running out, though. He's really got to he's really got to close the deal with those voters that are on the fence. I mean, one of the interesting things is, you know, his job approval is back up to 45 percent in our real quick politics average, but he's only at 41.7 percent in in our national polling average. So who are those three percent of folks that are approve of the job he's doing as president but aren't going to vote for him? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but well, you know, are those are those folks saying they're undecided, but they're really not? Are they not telling pollsters that they're going to vote for him? I'm not sure we know, but it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic in this race. Yeah, I just cannot wait. Too bad we don't have a debate this week, but uh, I can't wait to see him out on the stump for three or four days, talking about what he does, and not talking about getting beating a virus, controversies, and a lot of the sideshow. Uh, Tom Bevan, thanks so much for breaking it down for us. Brett Baer is next, and go uh, check out RealQueerPolitics.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Judge Barrett, I'm not suggesting you made some secret deal with President Trump, but I believe the reason you were chosen is precisely because your judicial philosophy, as repeatedly stated, could lead to the outcomes President Trump has sought. And I think that has dramatic and potentially very harmful consequences with regards to the election, the Affordable Care Act, and long-settled rights. And that was uh, Chris Coons. And he was just speaking, but that was emblematic of how many Democrats have come out and said that's their tactic. Their tactic is not to attack her, obviously, with her family sitting right there, not to attack her intellect, not to look at her high school yearbook, at least yet. But it was to go up and and say she is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. But most importantly, she's going to overturn Obamacare, using the president's word, saying I wouldn't put a justice in there to do what John Roberts did, and that's leave it. Brett Baer joins us now. It's chief political anchor of Fox News. Tom Tillis is speaking right now. After Tillis, they take a break. Now, Brett's got to hop on TV, but he wants to spend a few minutes with us first. Brett, you're not surprised by the tactic. I was surprised that everybody had the same tactic. Yeah, it's a little uh, transparent uh, about what they're trying to do here, and it's all about the Affordable Care Act. Um, and this case that comes up November 10th before the Supreme Court, it's really about the election 22 days away and about using health care to try to motivate voters uh, and suggest that the Trump administration is making this appointment solely uh, to knock down Obamacare. The, the thing that they don't really focus on is that the case that would come before the Supreme Court is coming before uh, really deals with a specific part, and that is the individual mandate. And justices may decide what's called the severability doctrine, whether to kind of carve out that and leave the rest of Obamacare intact. Um, We don't know specifically how uh, Amy Coney Barrett is going to rule on that if she's a justice, and we we don't know how this is all going to go. 
and yet this is the focus. Which I find amazing is with the masks being we're in a pandemic, I have no idea her reaction to anything. They say I got to roll because I got to hop on TV. All right. I understand, Brett. I'll talk Talk to you you in a second. I appreciate it. So Tom Tillis just wrapped up uh, and we see that Lindsey Graham is going to give instructions and it's going to say Senator Hirono is going to be leading after the break. I guess they take lunch. It could be about an hour. Amy Coney Barry has to be sitting there saying, okay, now I got to get my seven kids lunch. Hopefully someone's giving her a hand, but you couldn't say a word. And I couldn't see her expression the entire time, which is to me frustrating because you don't see the smiles. Uh, you don't see the anger. You don't see the de- being distraught. I think she probably loved it though. It probably helped her keep that face being uh, stoic, but from Senator Klobuchar holding up pictures, huge posters of families with pre-existing conditions of all ages. Dick Durbin, they're now meeting and, and, and meeting in the room while Senator Cornyn and others leave out. They also went up to Senator Cornyn in Texas because they know he's in a tough race. And they tried to call him out. I know he didn't appreciate that. And uh, Klobuchar and everybody, they're trying to make this a national election. You know, the, the failed presidential candidates are a little bitter. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, when she gets a chance to talk, I mean, she just uh, spouts venom. And Klobuchar, too. I mean, if it was talking about, if they were doing Obamacare, that's it. But that's one decision, and you just heard about the severability of one decision. And I'm very curious to this. Senator Schumer wants her to recuse herself. Senator Klobuchar wants her to recuse herself. Senator Blumenthal wants her to recuse herself. Okay? What if she did? What if she did? She just left at eight. And of course, if it ends up four four, it gets kicked back to the lower court decision. What if you didn't say, yeah, you know what? For this, for the for this argument's sake, being that we're so close to the election, I'll do it. Do you realize they have nothing to go on then? Oh, Roe v. Wade, 1973. There's some court cases that may or may not get to that level. They'd be in trouble. Their whole argument would blow up. Brian, listen W I B C in Marshall, Illinois. Hey, Brian. Hello. What's on your mind? Um, back to the election and the Green New Deal. Um, one of the things that uh, Trump and Pence has not brought up is the fact of the big uh, red herring of Solyndra that uh, Obama sent millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into and nothing came of it. Yep. What people don't realize is when you have electric cars, you double or triple your energy bill and you are going to you need to double or triple your generating capacity. California has brownouts right now. Yep. That's going to be the whole country if we move to electric, uh, all electric uh, vehicles in the country. Absolutely. And uh, most of those energy plants are fueled by coal. So, right. he- hello, coal. We got plenty of coal. Uh, Brian, this hey, is unbelievable. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. On Black Lives Matter, uh, one of the big things on that is it's not – Black Lives Matter is how Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter to me is in my black friends and how good of friends they are. To the left, they are a voting block in how to keep them down. Just uh, saying Black Lives Matter isn't enough. It's how they matter to you. Absolutely. And Or how about this? We're all Americans and everybody's lives matter. Oh, you can't say that. I'll get canceled. Everybody's lives matter. All our lives matter. And in any way we could help uh, equal the playing field, great. But I think people have to be, be taught in school that capitalism uh, makes you compete. And not everybody wins, and there's no guaranteed justice in anything you do in life. 
Uh, why is it that everyone was speeding, but you got pulled over? Were you speeding? Yes, but so were they. You got caught. Life is not necessarily fair, but we have to go over in schools instead of like equal everything, compete for everything. Yeah, there's people going to want only tall people. There's people going to like only short people. There's Czech Repu- there's Czechoslovakian people that only like Czech Repug- Republican people in America, and they hate Slovakian people. That's the way it is. It's not fair. We got to be taught about capitalism, competing, a free market. Melissa, listen WNIS in Norfolk, Virginia. Melissa. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. No hey, um, just a, something that I thought about. Back in 2016, a lot of why I voted for um, Trump, and I, I believe a lot of people did, was because he was an outsider. It was exciting to have somebody new and fresh in there that wasn't a politician. And um, another thing that I didn't know back then was this thing about fake news. Had no clue. But in 2020, um, I'm excited but I think, like many people, we're angry about how the president's been treated, how a lot of things are going in the country. So I think there's not only the excitement to re- uh, vote for him again, but there's that anger fueling us to make sure we get out there and vote. And, and now, and I'm going to ask I you could, what most I want to ask you what I ask everybody that supports the president. How many people do you know that didn't vote for him? And it might be zero. It's okay. How many people do you know that didn't vote for him that are? How many people do you know that did vote for him that aren't? I don't know anybody who voted for him that aren't. Uh, we, like you said, we don't talk a whole lot about politics because yep. you never know who's chosen on to step yeah. on. But but I have two. My mother and my, one of my sisters is a Democrat, and I know 100 percent they're going to vote for Biden. And and they just don't see the big picture. And it's almost like you you can't even try to explain it to them. It's just those are there are people out there you just cannot. Have, show them reason why you you shouldn't be voting for them. So, you know, we kind of chalk it up, but I have three other sisters and their husbands who vote conservative and, you know, we, you know, there's a lot of us out here. It's I understand. Staying quiet, yeah. like Listen, you said earlier. On Long Island, Melissa, I guess yeah. New York, everyone just assumes it's going to go to Joe Biden, but I've never seen more parades and Trump flags in my life. I saw two parades the other, I mean, in areas that are known for Democratic, and I'm watching and I'm saying, what's going on here? And these, these parades, they, they're going 40 miles an hour, but I'm counting the cars. There's 50, 60 cars. Why would they do that? They're not doing it for publicity. They're doing it to show a, uh, show a unity, uh, like it's not over. And I think that's important. Even if he loses, I've never seen more passionate voters for somebody that's going to lose an election, where most of the yard signs are Trump's, and all the people knocking on doors are Trump officials, uh, are Trump workers. I don't know what happened with the money situation, where this money came from to balance it towards the Democrats and Brad Parscale and the money that they had. I don't know where it went, but, man, they certainly have a big army. Tom, listen, WIBX in Little Falls, New York. Tom. Uh, Yes, uh, I'm calling about the uh, ACA. Yes. And that should be challenged in the Supreme Court because Amendment Number 10 says the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution— nor prohibited by to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Nothing in the Constitution giving the federal government authority over health. It should be done by the states. Very clear in the Constitution. I hear you. Thanks, Tom. Don, Fort Myers, Florida. Don. Hey, Brian. Hey, uh, in Florida, 
Vice President Biden's running an ad that says he has a plan to save thousands of lives from COVID-19. Yeah, what is you know, it? I don't know. He won't tell us. But don't you think it's incumbent upon him to save those lives? Oh, yeah. Or is this candidacy, candidacy more important than the people's lives? Don, do you really think he has anything? There's no doubt he has nothing. He has nothing. But nobody, nobody will stand up and question him about it. You know? You know, I, I just... Don, we got to. Uh, all you got to do is, and I'm going to spend my time doing this. And if people are happy with the image of going back to Obamacare and going back to bailouts and going back to selling Chrysler to Italy and deciding what dealerships are going to stay open and going into these inner cities and doing the best they can to bring put psychologists with cops and de-emphasizing law and order, forcing the men and blue, men and women in blue to do something else for a living. If they're happy with these socialistic programs that are going to siphon money out of our defense and put it into programs that have no profit, if, they, if they're happy with raising taxes, if they're happy with higher corporate rates, which affects small businesses, uh, if they're happy with regulations, that's what it's going to come back. They say, well, President Trump's tweets bother me. You know, I, I think he could have been more disciplined when it came to the coronavirus. Uh, just understand the alternative. And I don't think people truly do. And it's intentional because Joe Biden can't run on what he wanted to. Number one, in 77, I'm not convinced he knows what he wants to. And not that he's old, but that he is acting the way he's acting. And the deal he must have cut behind the scenes with James Clyburn and company in order to get that nomination, it means that he's going to be run by somebody else. And they're desperately trying not to reveal it because they know the American people don't want any part of it. And right now, the president's trying to tell everybody that, and nobody's listening. You got 22 days to pay attention. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The month of June is Gay Pride Month. That's a little long, don't you think? For a group of people that were never enslaved. How did they get all in June? Dude, black people were actually enslaved. They get February. They get 28 days of overcast weather. That was a little of the politically incorrect stand-up on SNL where Bill Burr was just, uh, I don't know, Bill Burr. And that's exactly why he's a top five comedian. He pushes the limits. He gets people's emotions going. I don't know. He's called a comedian. So if you don't think he's funny, man, he's edgy, smart, insightful, and he's gutsy enough to comment on some of the insanity that's going on here. Uh, to take on Gay Pride Month, to take on African-Americans and bring up slavery. It took a lot of guts, and it outraged almost everyone in America, which I think it's hysterical because SNL is probably the one of those politically correct shows now. They know one thing for sure. Nothing Republican has anything but should be mocked, and nothing Democrat uh, outside a brief period when they had some fun with all those men and women on stage on the Democratic side. After that, now it's too serious to mock. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sad news at the age of 77, second baseman for the, uh, for the Cincinnati Reds, uh, a, key mo- a key player in the big red machine during their heyday, two-time NL most valuable player, which is pretty amazing, as a 5'7 second baseman has just passed away. Here's a little of Joe Morgan. There's a looper. May drop. It's in for a hit. Here comes a throw to third. Rose hits the dirty safe. And there goes Morgan down to second. And the Reds have the lead four to three. 
as Joe Morgan blooped a base hit into center field. Scoring Griffey from third. The throw from Lynn to third was too late. Rose hitting the dirt there. And on the throw to third, going down to second is Joe Morgan. It's amazing how many of these legends have passed away. Whitey Ford over the weekend, Bob Gibson last week, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver, of course, and Al Kaline all this year. I remember watching him play with it, uh, the way he used to uh, flap that elbow up and down, and it was pretty amazing. 268 homers for a guy uh, that small, but he was that strong. You know, and he had a great second career. I mean, a long second career as an announcer, and I believe it was over 20 years with John Miller. They did uh, Sunday Night Baseball. Him and ESPN. Bill White, best voices. Bill right? White was great, too. Next, happening tonight, mark your calendar. I guess it's too late. Put it on your things to-do list. Molly Cyrus, Demi Lovato, and more added to a tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg to honor her wish tribute event. So the tribute is to honor her life and her wish. Her last wish was to have the next president name a replacement. I'm not sure that Miley Cyrus is there going to see it through, but they're desperate to get her social media following in the next generation to go Democrat, and they tap Miley Cyrus to do it. So Kristen Bell will be there, Beanie Feldstein, Elizabeth Banks, Yvette Nicole Brown, May uh, Whitman, Meg Whitman, will all be part of it. It's uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. Her dying wish to have her seat filled by somebody else. But if Donald Trump wins, I guess that would be still honoring her wish. It's going ahead anyway. Next. Did you hear about this? Probably not, unless you're a big basketball fan. LeBron James and the Lakers win the world championship, the NBA title, beating a tough Heat team in six games. Final game, not close, 106 to 93. Here's how it sounded. The finals MVP trophy, as you just said, is named after Bill Russell. And I have a feeling that this finals MVP is going to have a trophy named after him one day. The finals MVP is LeBron James. That means a lot to represent this franchise. I told Jeannie when I came here that uh, I was going to put this franchise back in a position where it belongs. For me to be a part of such a historical franchise is uh, it's an unbelievable feeling, not only for myself, but for my teammates, for the organization, for the coaches, for the trainers, everybody that's here. We just want our respect. Rob wants his respect. Coach Vogel wants his respect. Our organization wants their respect. Laker Nation wants their respect. And I want my damn respect, too. All right, uh, that's nice. Uh, they won. He played good. He's really good. Now everyone's going to talk about is he the greatest ever because he won one with Cleveland. He won two with, uh, with, with Miami. Then he goes and wins now with Los Angeles. I'll tell you, that, I mean, how many? that's one of those rare feats where you have guys that win more championships, but to doing it with three separate uh, teams is, is something to be Yeah, like. pretty good, but now is a time in which the players are really in total but power here, now. But here's my thing, though. He wants his, quote, damn respect. Who doesn't respect his playing ability? Tell me one person who doesn't respect his playing ability. No idea. Next, education reform. 70% of teens want history textbooks rewritten to include recent political and social justice issues. They surveyed 2,000 people. Uh, The poll was commissioned by the uh, Connections Academy and Pearson. So ask people learning uh, history to decide what's in it. Uh, When high schools were asked what issues are closest to their hearts, racism is 43%. Education, 33%, uh, came in 30%. Uh, 30% uh, said climate change, 23% said gun control, jobs and economy, 22%, other populations, voting rights, health care, 18%, and immigration, 14%, social equity. So there you go. Let's let people uh, dictate, kids who haven't learned anything, tell us what they want to learn. Fantastic. I'm not sure that we should be serving kids about what they should learn. We're supposed to be the ones who have learned it and should decide. But maybe I'm old-fashioned. 
hey, watch me on the five tonight. I'll be one of the people. Uh, you'll see me at 5 p.m. Eastern time and always watch us on Fox Nation. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.